This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I stand in awe of you And everything you've done for me You speak your words into my life And where you are is where I want to be I stand before you, Lord Humbled by the love you give away A widow's might, my will and pride It's all I have to offer anyway
Thank you, uh, Jeremy and Rachel. That was really, really good. Open your Bibles, please, to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to begin reading with chapter 10 here in just a moment. But let's just, um, let's just call a time out and ask God to really touch our time in the Word. Lord, we are so needy. Oh, we're so needy. And uh, Lord, just take, uh, take your Word today. Put me in a place where I can't be seen. Lord, uh, let Jesus Christ be high and lifted up exalted above all names. That's what we want more than anything else. Let your word just speak to us. God, we ask you to use these moments that they would be divine moments. In Jesus' name, amen. This is part six of the series that we're calling Restart. We've been here six weeks, and uh, unless I receive some sudden inspiration, extraordinary inspiration this week, uh, this will probably be the final lesson. We'll move on to, uh, to something else as God leads. Now, in each lesson, I've been reminding us that our faith must have a starting point, which I do believe that most of us at one time or another, I mean, we're kind of in a religious part of, of the country called the Bible Belt, the buckle of the Bible Belt. So probably most of us at one time or another had at least some kind of spiritual starting point. And probably for the majority of us, it took place when we were young, maybe around grade school age. Just for curiosity, how many of you made some kind of a spiritual start when you were just a kid? Just raise your hand. Yeah, look, look around. That's, that's the majority of us right there. But here's what happened. We all grew up physically, but not all of us grew up spiritually. And the result was that as we got older, we found ourselves with a gap. We were mature physically, but childish spiritually. It was almost like we didn't make the effort to, can I just say, backfill our faith or solidify our faith. And, and we were content to keep the spiritual part of us on a very elementary level. And, and so because of that, I believe that from time to time, we all need reminders through series such as Restart to do as the Bible says, to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now today, I want to deal with a topic that if we do a spiritual restart, we will inevitably bump up against. And that is the matter of having a genuine encounter with Jesus Christ. Now to make sure that we're on the same page, let me quickly clarify my use of the word encounter. When I talk about having an encounter with Jesus Christ, I am not just referring to saying the sinner's prayer. Now, I, I do believe in saying the sinner's prayer. But when I talk about an encounter, having an encounter with Jesus, it goes deeper than just saying, I believe. Or it goes deeper than just saying, dear Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me of my sins, come into my heart, etc. It, it goes way beyond that. Also, when I use the word encounter, I'm not just referring to being baptized. And again, I'm all for baptism. I, it's biblical. I love our baptismal services. I wish we could have baptisms every, every Sunday. 
Uh, and, and maybe some of you, you need to take that step of giving public witness to what God has done in your life. But my use of the word encounter with God goes beyond being baptized in water. Nor in using the word encounter am I referring to a particular conference like the men's encounter or a particular program or a formula, and, and there's a place for those things. So, so just to make sure that we're on the same page as we kick off this lesson, when I talk about having an encounter with Jesus Christ, it's more than a prayer, it's more than a baptism, it's more than a conference, it's more than a program. You say, well, pastor, what are you referring to? Well, you're going to have to hang with me a few minutes to find out. So you ready? Are you ready to go? Let's go. It seems today that we have become confused as to what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Furthermore, it also seems that at times we become confused as to the reason or the motivation for serving Christ. For, for example, many people serve Jesus for this reason right here. They believe that serving Jesus lessens the chances of bad things coming their way. You know, they, they think that serving Jesus is kind of like a weed killer. You know, the last few weeks I've been spraying gallons and gallons, tens of gallons of, of weed killer out at my farm, and I'm trying to control multiflora rose and locust sprouts and cerisa lespedeza and, you know, those things that I, I, I fight every year, and it, it just seems to always come back. But, but anyway, sometimes we, we think that serving Jesus is like a weed killer that, that keeps bad things from coming our way. Or, or, or sometimes people also think that serving Jesus is a way to bring good things to them. You know, it keeps bad things away, but it brings blessings. And one of the results of these misconceptions and misguided motives has led many people to attempt to bargain and cut deals with God. Now let me go ahead and level the playing field here and keep a few of you from trying to sprout angel wings. And feel holier than thou. And let me say that we've all done this. You've done this. And yes, you on the back row, you've done it. And yes, you on the front row, you've done it. Uh, I've done it. In fact, this is embarrassing. I'm your pastor, but I still catch myself trying to bargain with God from time to time. And so let's just go ahead and uh, go ahead and confess it. And, and I realize we're not Catholics, but there are a few things Protestants could learn from Catholics. And one of them is confession. So we need to just go ahead and confess it. But anyway, we all have the tendency to bargain with God. Maybe going back a few years for some of you, you were in high school and driving home and you were late for your curfew. And you knew that your parents would be waiting up for you and you would be busted and grounded, grounded till Jesus comes. And so you, be, you began to bargain with God and said, God, I know I'm messed up. And I know I'm going to be in big time trouble. And, and God, I promise I will do better from now on. But God, if you could just have my parents be asleep when I get home, then I will go to church without complaining. I'll go to Sunday school. I'll go to youth group and put up with Mr. Pertle. And I'll even volunteer to clean the church and scrub toilets every week. But please, God, don't let my parents still be up. We bargain. Or, or how many of us have said this and this brings the matter pretty close to home to a lot of us. We say, oh God, my loved one is sick. If you will just heal, then I, I will stop, whatever, smoking, drinking, cussing, doing all these bad things, and I will start doing good things. Or, and be thankful, I'm not asking you to, you to raise your hand on this one, but 
I dare say that quite a few of us have been this silly and have said, God, if you will just let my ball team win, then I'll start doing this. And, you, you know, the very first thing you can think of, maybe working with junior high boys or, 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 or tithing or, or whatever. And, and go ahead and just be Catholic in this matter and confess, because many of us have done that. We, we've tried to cut deals with God. Now, here's the other thing you probably don't want me to mention, but I'm going to. Not only do I know that you've tried to negotiate and cut a deal with God, here's the other thing I know about you. You didn't keep your end of the deal, did you? You know, we typically don't. You know, we went home and miraculously both of our parents were asleep. And what did we do? We, 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 we told our friends the next day, boy, I was so lucky. I couldn't believe it. Both my mom and dad were asleep when I got home. They didn't hear me come in. So it's all good. I'm not grounded. What about that deal you made with God to start attending Sunday school and cleaning toilets? What happened to that part of the deal? Went out the window, didn't it? Or, or maybe you were scared. You, you, you thought you were pregnant or, or you thought your girlfriend was pregnant and you didn't know how you were going to face your parents. And so you made some promises to God. If you would just somehow make it so a baby wasn't on the way, you would be pure from now on. Well, you found out that the baby was indeed a false alarm. And how about that deal you cut with God about being pure from now on? What happened to that deal? And I have a feeling some of you are probably saying, boy, I knew we should have gone to Branson today. <laughs> but I'm afraid that too many times our relationship with God has been based on a deal. If God will do this for me, then I will do this for him. But if we're serious about wanting to serve God, then all of this trying to negotiate a deal or bargain with God has got to stop. Because when it comes to God, do you realize that, that you truly have absolutely zero negotiating power? I mean, think about it. What do you have? What do I have that entices God to cut a deal with us? I mean, thinking about that just kind of makes us feel silly, doesn't it? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And don't ever forget that we are all sinners. So what do we deserve? We deserve death. And so as people that are in fact on death row... We do not have any negotiating power within us. And so if we're going to get in a right place spiritually with God, we need to quit thinking that we're big stuff and we need to just come to God empty and broken. Realizing that we are nothing and we have nothing. We need an encounter with God based on not what we have, but based on what we do not have. Now our scripture reading today is is actually the second half of the account that we're going to cover. So naturally, for the second half to make sense, I need to tell you the first half. And here it is. Saul was the first king of Israel. And if you were raised in church, you remember that the Israelites had asked the prophet Samuel for, for a king because all the other countries had a king and God didn't want to give them a king. He knew that a system of kings would bring them heartache. He knew that their sons would be drafted into the army. He knew that their daughters would be forced to serve as maids and slaves in the palace. He knew that there would be a system of taxes that would at times be oppressive. He, he knew that corruption would at times overrule justice. But the people begged and begged and God finally relented and gave them a king. And Saul would eventually become that first king. 
And the first part of our story gives the background for Saul becoming king. Saul at that time was basically an unknown man that still lived at home with his parents. And few people outside of the immediate area had even heard of Saul. But one day, some of the donkeys that Saul's dad owned wandered off, got lost. And so Saul's dad sends Saul and, and, and a servant uh, to, to look for those donkeys. And, and they, they trekked around all over the countryside looking for those crazy donkeys. And there were no donkeys to be found. And they were about to the point of saying, well, it's a lost cause. I, I don't know where they are. And they were about to go home. And all of a sudden, the servant had a brainstorm. And he said, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Saul. Do you realize where we are? And Saul said, what do you mean? Well, the servant said, we're near where the prophet Samuel lives. And Saul basically says, who? Who is Samuel? And what's so incredible is that Saul was so out of touch with God to where it appears that he didn't even know about Samuel, even though Samuel had been prophet and judge for, for decades. He was the greatest spiritual man uh, in, in the country of Israel. Well, the servant explains to Saul, you know, Samuel was a prophet, a man of God, and, and might be able to tell them where the donkeys were. And so the Bible says they go to Samuel's house, and God had prepared Samuel the day before, told him that a, some men would be coming to ask about some donkeys. Samuel was to anoint one of them as king. So they arrive at Samuel's house, and they say, Oh, prophet, oh, man of God, do you happen to know where our donkeys are? That, that'd be kind of an interesting out-of-the-blue question, uh, question if God had not prepared them. And Samuel says, Well, yes. I do know where your donkeys are. They've been found. They're okay. And in the morning, we'll talk about getting your donkeys back. But right now, let's eat a bite. They have a meal. Samuel invites them to spend the night. The next morning, Samuel, Samuel says to the servant, go on ahead because I need to talk to Saul by himself. I've got a message from God. And that's the first half of the story. Let's pick up our scripture reading with the second half of the story for Samuel chapter 10. It reads this way. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father stopped thinking about them. He's worried about you. He's asking, What shall I do about my son? Verse 3, Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor, Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there's a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down for the high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes, harps being played before them. They will begin uh, be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them. And there are two phrases that I want to point out because we're going to kind of camp out and build our thoughts around these phrases. Here's the first phrase. And you will be changed into a different person. You'll be changed into a different person. Now we're going to skip on down to verse 9. And we see the second phrase. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, here it is. God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. Now, let me quickly say that I realize Saul has a pretty bad name in the Bible because of some things that he did after he became king. And so Saul is not a perfect example. He started out right, but basically ended up a train wreck. 
But our lesson today focuses on probably the highlight of his life. And, and again, I want to spend our time looking at these two phrases. Here is basically what happened that led to those two phrases that we read. After the servant left, Samuel uh, said, Saul, God is choosing you to be king over Israel. And so he began to pray with Saul and, and he anointed him with oil and, and he was praying. Evidently, God began to move on Saul's heart. And Saul obviously had, had had some kind of encounter with God, Jehovah, and his heart, the Bible said, began to change, and Scripture says that he became a new person. Which leads me to say this. When we have a true encounter with God Almighty, and I'm not talking about negotiating and, and trying to cut deals with God, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this, and if you'll do that, then I'll do this. But when we have a true encounter with God, our lives will change. Our hearts will change. And we will become new. You know, there's a verse that we've heard so many times, and, and we're almost tired of it, but it's still true in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. There will be change. You will become a new person. And if I could just step into the sandals of John the Baptist that we talked about last week. And remember, I said that John the Baptist was blunt. He was hard-hitting to the point, And he didn't care if people were offended or not. He, wasn't care, he didn't care about seeker-sensitive. But, but could I just for a moment step into his sandals and take a no-nonsense approach? And let me say this. If your life hasn't changed then you probably haven't had an encounter with God. Now, I realize I, I couldn't say that at a lot of churches because they would boo me out, but you're, you're above average and don't get the big head here. But <laughs> if your life hasn't changed, then you probably haven't had an encounter with God. You know, all the time we hear people talk about God and how they love Him and they're serving Him and how He's the most important thing to them. But unfortunately, as you look at them, you see things in their lives and you hear language coming from their mouth. You see attitudes. You see addictions. It's very obvious that there's not been a heart change. There's not been a life change. And today in the church, and even in our theology within the church, we're losing the concept of God changing our hearts and making us new. Amen. You know, as long as we go to church and pray a little prayer and get a little bit wet through baptism and, and are conservative politically and we listen to Fox News, most people feel that qualifies them to be a Christian. Amen. <laughs> but we cannot lose the theology of a heart change. We cannot lose the theology of all things passing away. God forbid that we would ever lose the concept that we must be born again. Where, where God does a total makeover on us and, and changes our heart, changes our lives, changes our language, changes our attitudes, changes our motives, changes our desires. We cannot lose the doctrine of a heart change. 
You know, in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul gives his testimony, he doesn't talk about a conference that changed him. He doesn't talk about the great teaching of a certain rabbi that maybe impacted him. He doesn't talk about the wonderful synagogue that he attended. He doesn't talk about all the social programs that maybe he was involved in. He doesn't even refer back to his baptism. When he gives his testimony, this is what he says. Listen very carefully. He says, I met the Lord on the way to Damascus. It wasn't a program. It wasn't a conference. It wasn't a church. It wasn't a baptism. It wasn't a quick sinner's prayer or anything else. It was an encounter with Jesus Christ where he met Jesus and it changed him. And he became a great missionary and ended up writing a good part of the New Testament. We see the same thing with Moses. Moses was basically a failure. He had committed murder. Murder. He had to flee to the backside of the desert. And, and, and but, but you remember there he was. And all of a sudden that, that bush, uh, th- there was just a spontaneous combustion. And, and that wasn't so rare from what I understand that just because of the, you know, the dryness there, once in a while they, they would, there would be a bush that maybe might burst into a little bit of smoke. But what was different about this little shrub was that it kept burning and burning and burning. And Moses began to sense that God Almighty was there. And so he slipped off his sandals because he knew he was on holy ground. He knew he was having an encounter with God. And that encounter with God at the burning bush changed him forever. He left the desert, faced off with Pharaoh, and eventually led a million and a half children of Israel out of slavery up to the promised land. And then there was Isaiah. Isaiah was a great man. And obviously he had some type of relationship with God, Jehovah. But evidently he was a lot like us. Maybe he believed, but he wasn't necessarily as committed to Jehovah. But there came an event that in, in his life that impacted him. His king, King Uzziah, who was uh, a, a good king and, and, and a king that he loved. And uh, But anyway, this king died. And, and there was something about his death that caused Isaiah to seek God. And, and scripture tells us that Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And once we have an encounter with God, we will be changed. We will see everything differently. We will see life differently. We will see our friends differently. We will see our enemies differently. We will see our job differently. We will see our church differently. We will see eternity differently. And I believe that too many church people across this country are missing that encounter from the lie, from their lives. And that's the reason. Can I just say this, this that as a whole, our churches are dead and ineffective. Because the Bible says that early, the early church had converts on a daily basis. And, and remember, did you know the early church didn't have any Bibles? No church buildings. No conferences. No praise bands. No flashy multimedia presentations. But here's what they did have. They had God. And they knew what it was to have an encounter with God who then gave them power. And they were able to turn the Roman Empire upside down and... What happened to the church? It grew exponentially. It exploded. Grew by leaps and bounds. You know, today they say that uh, 80% of the 400,000 churches in America are either plateaued or declining. And we blame the times. We say, well, we're living in the last days. That's why the church doesn't grow. And I, I do believe we're living in the last days. We blame our society because it's so wicked. And there's no doubt our society is wicked. We blame the government because there's no morality in Washington anymore. And I don't think there is from their president on down to Congress. But, but have you ever thought about this? When the early church was thriving, there was no morality in the Roman government either. And talk about corrupt. Read about Caligula. 
You ought to do a little search there, Google search Caligula. Read about Nero, and you'll find out just how corrupt the government was. But, but you never find the apostles wringing their hands and saying, Oh, our hands are tied by the government, so there's no way that we can really make a difference. And then here's what we like to do. Sorry, school teachers here. We like to blame our schools and, and say, well, the reason our country's going down the tube is because there's no prayer in schools. And I would love to see prayer back at our schools. I, I'm thankful there are some of our teachers that, that do have prayer in the schools. And I'm thankful for that. But I don't believe, here's what I don't believe. I don't believe we have a right to demand prayer back into the schools until we bring prayer back into the church. And, and since you're just loving this... Let me get in deeper weeds and, and just say that nor do we have a right to demand prayer back into the schools until we bring prayer back into our homes. We really don't have a right to gripe about no prayer in schools when we don't have prayer as a priority in our own lives. And, and by the way, may I just remind you that the early church 2,000 years ago, there, there was no prayer in the Roman schools either. It didn't matter. The church still grew. Why? Because the church had had an encounter with God. I love studying the book of Acts, just, just the day of Pentecost, the first few chapters there. Here are a couple of observations I was thinking about this week. Did you ever think about the fact that the apostles lived with Jesus for three years, and at the end of three years of his teaching, they were spiritually weak? You know, when Christ was arrested, they all fled, and one had already betrayed him. So i got a question. Did they have a good teacher? <laughs> Absolutely the best. Jesus was the best teacher. Did he give them good doctrine? Absolutely pure doctrine. But do you know what? That doctrine, that teaching didn't transform them until they prayed and had an encounter with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 4, when persecution broke out against the church, what did they do? Well, they didn't wring their hands and say, oh, we need to get a million names on a petition and we need to take to the streets and protest or we need to get a conservative on the Supreme Court that will champion our values. No, you know what they did? They called a prayer meeting. <laughs> and I know that sounds too simplistic for us, but, but they prayed. They had an encounter with God. Things happened. The church grew. People were saved. And in our lesson... Even in the Old Testament, we see Samuel and Saul, they're praying, and, and God comes upon Saul. And he has an encounter with God, and his heart is changed. He becomes a new person. And by the way, it's not just one encounter that we need with God. We need to have constant, regular encounters with Jesus Christ. You know, I think of uh, I think of Abraham when God called him to leave Ur of the Chaldees. Um, if you study Abraham's life, he would go a distance, set up camp, build an altar, worship God. Tear down camp, go another distance, set up camp, build an altar, worship God. He did this over and over again. Here's what that tells me. 
And I thank God for just the initial experience that He gives us. But it's not enough to just say, I got it all, I'm good for the rest of my life. We need those continual times of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You know, as churches, we're at a very difficult time. And I don't want to just kind of be a downer here. I've talked about this before, but we have churches that are on one side of the pendulum that are doing weird things in the name of the Holy Spirit, and they're barking and laughing and all of this kind of stuff, and and they're blaming the Holy Spirit on it. And and then you have other people that are looking at them and they say, I don't want to be part of that bizarre stuff and that the Bible doesn't talk about. So they, as a reaction, they move over here to this side and they say, no, we're not going to do that. And they, they go into a deadness and a dryness and a religion without life. And then you've got people that look on and say, I don't want to be dead. And so then they come over here and, and they get into the bizarre stuff again and that's what's going on it seems like in our, in, in our country and you know what Satan is clever and because he's the one that's making a lot of this happen and he's jumping down with glee because he succeeded in getting both sides off track but, but then there's the New Testament church and that's what I want for this church and, and I don't want to be here on the dead side and I don't want to be over here on, on the bizarre side and, and I don't want to just have a bunch of excitement I don't want to just have a bunch of theology and doctrine that, that's dead and dry but I want us to be where, where we focus on, on God and, and, and His Word but I want there to be life I want us to be grounded in the Word but I want there to be life and I want it to be abundant life And I want to give God the freedom to come and do some new things. That's what I want for this church. Because whenever that happens, the church grows. People come to know Jesus Christ. Alcoholics get dried out. You know, those who are into drugs, they leave their drugs. Those who are bound to lust, they experience freedom. And that's what the church of Jesus Christ is about. It's, it's, it's presenting the gospel in, in such a way where there's life, but yet we're, we're grounded in the word that, that keeps us firm, that keeps us straight there. And, and I pray that, you know, this church here, that we will sense God just giving us new life, but I don't ever want to leave. I don't want to ever leave God's word. And that's got to keep us grounded. And so as we wrap up this series... As we wrap up this series, I, I want to just ask you, have you had that encounter with Jesus Christ? And then if you say yes, are you having those subsequent, those continual encounters where maybe you stray a little bit away, but you come back to the fire, you come back to the burning bush, come back to the road to Damascus. You know, I don't want us to be a church that just goes through the motions of, you know, saying the sinner's prayer. And again, I'm for that. And just baptizing people. But I want us to know, I want us to truly know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and experience him to the fullest. And I wonder if there are some people here that maybe you've kind of succumbed to the, the, the trap of America to where, you know, just be a good person and you're in. But I, I, I wonder if there would be some people here that would say, I need that encounter. Would you just uh, 
bow your heads, please, Father. I want to just pray right now that you would uh, still our hearts and still our minds. Father, I pray that you would give us just real honesty that would help us to know, have we truly experienced, had an encounter with Jesus that changes our hearts and makes us new. God, don't ever let us get away from that theology. Father, I just pray that you would give us honesty right now. Nobody looking around, heads bowed, eyes closed. There's somebody that would just lift a hand and say, Pastor, God really spoke to me today. Would you just pray for me? Don't embarrass me. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anyone else? I, I see your hand. And your hand. And yours. And yours. And yours. And yours. And yours. I'm going to ask you just to stand. And I'm not going to... Everybody standing, please. I'm not going to take long and I'm not going to pull you or pressure you or guilt you or anything like that. But if you feel that maybe the Holy Spirit is just leading you to come up here and, and maybe make some new commitments to God, I invite you to come right now before we pray our dismissal prayer. You just feel like you want to come and make some new commitments to Jesus. I want to give you just that flexibility, just that openness. You're welcome to do that. You know what? This isn't just for sinners. This is just for people that want to be closer to God. That's all it is. You know, we're all kind of in the same boat. We just need to get closer to God. Is there anybody else that would like to come just kneel here and say, man, I, I, I want more of God. I want an encounter with God. I want a fresh visitation of my soul. Anybody else, you want to come and you want to just pray? Don't be too proud. You know what? Don't be too proud. If God is speaking to your heart, this is the time for you to just move and anybody else uh, maybe we could have just a few and I'm so proud of their honesty here just their desire to seek God could we have maybe just a few that would gather around them and maybe that will give you uh, also a reason to come forward anybody else you want to come and you want to just seek God you want a, you want a fresh visitation You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.